0: Well, good morning again. We are uh, wrapping up our summer series. We've been doing um, a journey through Proverbs this summer, and so I wanted to wrap that up today. And so when you come to the end of the book of Proverbs, you hit Proverbs 31, uh, which is the uh, chapter that talks about the model wife and the model mother. And so that's our topic for today. Already some of you, half of you in the room are saying, what difference does any of this make to me? Uh, we will get there, and I promise you it will involve the totality of everyone in this room. So um, y'all just hang in there with me as we walk through this text today. Our our text is Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 11, and then verses 28 through 31. As is our custom, I'm going to ask for you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 11, and then 28 through 31. Let's begin reading together. It says, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gate. She may be seated. Um, I want to walk through these verses together, and we're going to encompass actually that whole last section of the chapter of uh, chapter 31. So let's kind of start at verse 10 and just work our way toward the end of that chapter. It says, An excellent wife who can find... You know, excellence is not something that is in abundance in the world. Excellence is something that's rare. And so Solomon, who's writing this, King Solomon is saying, hey, look, if excellence is not the norm and you find excellence in a woman, he says, verse, st- verse 10, he says, she is far more precious than jewels. In other words, this is somebody that you need to hang on to because this is somebody who um, displays excellence. Verse 11, the heart of her husband, because she's so excellent, trusts in her and he will have no lack of of gain. Skip down to verse 13. Now verse 13 begins a whole section here of this toward the end when we get to a few summary statements at the end of the chapter. The chapter verse 13 begins this section where the actions and the habits and the qualities of this uh, model wife, this model mother, model mother are described. It tells what she is, it tells what she does, it tells the kind of activity that you can, you can observe her doing. And so let's just take a look at those. I'm going to kind of build all those uh, together in a framework for us. It says, verse 13, she seeks wool and flax and, with willing hand, <clears throat> and works with willing hands. Now, wool and flax back in biblical times was what? What did they use wool and flax for? Make stuff, right? Make clothing, make blankets, make garments, all those sorts of things. And so it says here that this is, this lady gathers these raw materials of wool and flax together, and she's using those to make um, items of of clothing or items like blankets, shawls, sashes, whatever it may be, Uh, for her family. Verse 14, it says that she's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. Verse 15, she rises while it is yet night. That is, she gets up early in the morning before the rest of the household stirs. And then as we go to these next couple of verses, verses um, 13, 14, and 15 that we just read here, When you pull all of those things together, all those concepts together that you've been reading there, if I was to try and summarize what the text is trying to say in kind of a more blanket statement or in a few words here, it would sound like Solomon is describing the model mother it's describing the model wife as somebody that works really hard. Do you see that in that scripture? Do you agree with that characterization? This is somebody who gets up early in the morning before the sun comes up. This is somebody who's working with willing hands, uh, sewing, who's putting together garments for her family. Um, And so we see there that she's this hard worker. Nobody has to tell her to get up to make clothes for the family. Nobody has to shake her in the morning to say, hey, look, it's past noon. It's time for you to get up in the morning. Um, This is somebody who gets up and she's getting going in the day, day after day, year after year, she does this. Solomon is impressed by this, so much so that he includes it in the words of Scripture. The Bible is impressed by this, such that the Bible puts forward to the rest of us as to say, hey, look, this is what a model wife, a model mother Looks like. So, quality number one of a model wife and mother would be that she works hard. Okay, number two, still in verse 15, it says that she provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. So, what's she doing early in the morning? She's getting the fires lit, she's getting the water boiling. See, back then they didn't have grocery stores, they didn't have Zaxby's drive through, they didn't have uh, Chinese takeout, right? So, in order to feed her family, she had to take those raw ingredients, flour, Uh, uh, butter. I don't even know what the raw ingredients would be, right? Uh, Yeast, right? And so she'd have to take the raw ingredients and, and build those together to make a meal for her family to provide nutrition for her family. So let's add that to the list as well. That is that she feeds her family. Number three, a third characteristic I described by Solomon and by the Bible is that she makes money. Look at verse 16. It says she considers a field and buys it. And how does she pay for this field? Well, let's keep reading. Look at verse 18. It says, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable, and so because of that, her lamp does not go out at night. So she gets up early in the morning, get the water started, get the food going for everybody, but then she's also staying up on the other end, burning the candle at both ends, at the other end of the day, and she's staying up late into the night during her free time, right? And she's, she's making garments, and she's taking these garments, and she's selling those uh, to the local merchants. So let's add that to the slide as well. It says that she makes money in her spare time skip on down to verse 24. It repeats this money-making theme. Verse 24 says she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Now, y'all hang with me. Remember this is Proverbs, right? So you got to popcorn around a little bit. So let's go back to verse 16. Still in that same idea of her making money, it says that she bought a field. And what kind of a field is it that she buys? Well, look at verse 16. It says that she considers a field, she sees this field, she thinks about buying it, and she goes ahead and pulls the trigger and buys this field. And where does she get the money from to do that? Where does she get the money from to buy the field? Of course, from the sale of all the sashes that she's been making, from the sale of all the garments that she's, that she's made. Um, and so she's a very opportunistic and entrepreneurial type of a woman. That's what the Bible is describing here. That's what Solomon is seeing here in his bride. Look at the rest of verse 16. It says, with the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. So this field that she buys is not just some piece of dirt, but actually she transforms it, or perhaps it already was going, but it's a vineyard. And it's not that she goes out there herself and is planting the vineyard and doing all the work. It says that she uses the fruits of her hands, the fruits of her sowing, in order to purchase this field and to plant the field. Um, So she's paying other people to do the work in the field, and she's using the money that she makes from the vineyard and the money that she's making from her little sewing business to pay those people to, um, to grow this business. So she's very, let's add that to the list as well, that she's very opportunistic, perhaps even we might say entrepreneurial. A couple more, verse 22. She makes bed coverings for herself, and her clothing is fine linen and purple. So she's got really fancy clothing. She's got really fancy bed coverings. Back then, if you had something that was purple, that was like the most expensive fabric that anybody could buy, that money could buy. And so, if that's the kind of clothes that she's wearing, stuff that has purple, if that's the kind of bed coverings that she's got, then she's buying some fancy, fine things. So let's put that on the script on the script, on the the screen as well. Um, that she's got some finer things. Verse 26. And you may wonder, well, where'd she get the money to buy all those finer things? Well, because she's up late at night, and she's making sashes, and she's selling stuff down at the store. Verse 26. It says, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. That means that she's very much in control of her words. She's not just spitting out of her mouth whatever comes to her mind. Rather, she's very much in control of her words. It says that her mouth ushers out wisdom. It ushers out words of Kindness. She's not snarky. She's not nasty. She's somebody whose mouth uh, ushers out kindness. So she's in, we'll add that to the list as well, that she's in control of her words. One more, and then we're going to sum this thing up. Verse 20 says, She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out to the hands, or reaches her and reaches out her hands. To the needy. So if she's all of these other things, right? If she's got finer things going on, to so the purple dye, the purple clothes. She's staying up late at night. She's getting up early in the morning to cook for everybody. Um, she's she's buying fields. She's running a vineyard, and then of course she's going to be working down at the soup kitchen, right? I mean, because aren't you getting the idea? This is like some kind of superwoman here. Is this some kind of supermom here? And so it just seems like you know, it just paints the full picture, the full circle that even she remembers the poor in her community. We begin to wonder who is this woman? Who is she, right? Um, And again, Solomon says, she's somebody who's really rare. She's somebody who's really excellent. So let's add that one to the list as well that she helps out with the poor. All right, let me sum all this up because this is where we come to at the end of the chapter. It's kind of a little summary statements here. Verse 27, it says, we get a bunch of, um, she she says, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Now, we've certainly seen that, right? First one up in the morning, last one to bed at night. Verse 28, her children rise up and brag on her, they should, and by calling her blessed, her husband also, he better, and praises her. And her husband says of her, verse 29, many women have done excellently, but you, dear, surpass them all. Uh, Verse 30, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Verse 31, give that lady the fruit of her Hands and let her words praise her in the gates. Okay, well, that's our treatment of this text for today and this topic. And so that means it's time for us to ask the question that we ask every week around here. And I know y'all have been in a little bit of a drought here. I've been gone for a couple of weeks, right? And you've been waiting to hear this question. And the question is here it comes what difference does all this make to my life? You say, uh, Gordon, again, going back to the point that you made earlier, for half of us in this room, how does this even apply? How can we even apply any of this? What difference does any of this make to me? And for others of us in this room, we're seeing this superwoman, this supermom, this superwife up here, and we're going, I mean, is that just some kind of idealistic person that God's creating here, and we ought to just kind of aim for little parts and pieces of that? I mean, what is God doing here by putting this kind of a person in front of us? What difference does any of this make to me? Well, that's a really great question, and it's the most important one. And so let's take a minute to answer that together. Um, let me put that diagram up on the screen for you one more time. Can we do that, Proverbs chapter 31? And you can see all those different characteristics, all those different qualities, all the kinds of things that this lady, this model mother, this model um, a wife that she's participating in and doing. As I was looking at this list, so I generated this list out through the week, and as I was just kind of sitting with it and driving down the road, thinking about it, um, it occurred to me that there perhaps, at least from my 21st century cultural perspective, there are a few things that are missing from the list. I don't want to say that's an exhaustive list. You go throughout the rest of Scripture, perhaps you could add in a few other things, but there's a few things that I at least would have thought from our cultural standpoint, from our value system, that would have been on the list, but Solomon doesn't include these on the list. One of those things that I would have thought would have at least been on the list from a guy like Solomon, he would have talked about how pretty she was, right? You would have thought outward beauty would have been the one thing that, hey, look, that's got to be part of the model mother, the model wife, but you know what? It's nowhere on the list. It's nowhere, nowhere in there. So in other words, the idea that some sort of, like having to be this, uh, super fit, super beauty, you know, supermodel kind of mom that walks around with three-inch high heel shoes on, that this idea, this concept that people have in their mind of what the model mother might look like, that friends, the Bible knows nothing of that. Not at all. What else is missing from the list? Well, perhaps we might think about her sharp intellect. Perhaps we would uh, want to see her SAT scores. Right? Or we want to know what kind of grade she got in school. What was her GPA? What college did she go to? But again, on that list, you don't see any of those items up there. They don't exist. The Bible doesn't put those forward for us. What else is missing from the list? How about her social life? Do you see anything up there about her social life? I mean, does it say what kinds of people she ran circles with? Does it talk about the boards that she sat on or the chairmanships that she held or the clubs that she belonged to? You don't see any of those on that list. Again, why is that? It's, well, it's because apparently from the Bible's perspective, none of those things are what make a woman, what makes a wife or a mother excellent. Not good looks, not sharp intellect, not the social circles that she runs, or whatever you want to add to that list. None of those things are on there. They're all good things to do, but again, they're not part of the Proverbs 31 ideal woman. It's worth mentioning that this is Solomon's wife. And who is Solomon? A very wealthy guy. What is his wife doing, staying up late at night, making sashes and selling them at the store? But again, this is the kind of a lady that she was. She wasn't going to compromise on being who she was just because of her station in life. She's the queen of Israel. Of course, she attended fancy balls. Of course, she attended really high society and important type meetings. She was in those circles. But again, the Bible doesn't list any of those as part of this picture of the ideal or the model wife and mother. You know, as we first look at that list and we experienced and felt some of this a few moments ago we may feel like, well, this lady's just totally out of reach, right? This is unobtainable. The Bible's setting something out there in front of us that's just a nice thought, right? But is not something that is obtainable. Um, we might think that this lady with all of her qualities is, was born super, right? She came out of the womb uh, just on a path to success. She had all the things going for her. She had the sharp intellect, the beauty. She had all those outward things going for her, um, that somehow that was what was going to design her and bring her into being this great super person. But again, look at the list. You don't see any naturally born qualities on that list. What the Bible is saying is that becoming the model wife and mother is well within reach Of every woman. As Thomas Edison said, the inventor of the light bulb, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Friends, who you are and who you become are not the result of raw talent, but rather much more the result of raw determination and consistency over time. You say, Gordon, I mean, that's really great to know, but again, getting back to this point, that I'm a guy, right? I mean, what difference does any of this make to me? How do I even begin to think about this in the context of my life? Well, if it's not the model wife and mother that we're looking to, maybe it's the model father and the model husband that we're trying to achieve. Maybe it's, maybe it's we want to become somebody who's very effective at sharing the gospel with others. Maybe it's somebody who we want to be the model neighbor. We want to be the neighbor that all the other neighbors uh, that we've got on our street are so thankful that you live on their street right? And so we want to be the model neighbor. Whatever the model is, whatever, the, whatever excellence we're trying to achieve at work, whatever excellence we're trying to achieve in our family life, whatever excellence we're trying to achieve, friends, the Bible is saying that is well within your grasp. It's well within your reach. You can be the excellent person that you want to. You say, well, okay, how do I do that? I mean, is there some sort of magical fairy dust that God's going to come and sprinkle on me, or is there some prayer that I've got to pray, is there some plan or some program that I need to get plugged into um, in order to become this kind of a person? Well, as I thought about this Proverbs 31 woman, and I think about other people in Scripture who have gone on to do great things and have marvelous testimonies, when I began to think about that, I can guarantee you that percolating in the background of every single one of their stories of success were two things two characteristics, two habits that they had in their life that, are, that are, are, are uniform amongst all of those people of success in the Scriptures. The first of those is, um, the first thing that helped the, model, this, the Proverbs 31 woman and her quest for excellence was that she had a daily quiet time. Friends, I cannot emphasize enough the difference that is made by having a daily, intimate, life-giving encounter with Jesus Christ. When we get quiet before the Lord Jesus, he's able to wash out our anxieties. He's able to wash out our guilt and our sin and our feelings of inadequacy. He's able to dig down on the inside of us where we're angry, where we've got some issues going on inside of us. He's able to bring healing to that. He's able to mend that. And friends, this is what the Lord Jesus did himself. He'd go out, he'd meet with the crowds, and he'd get to a place where he was diminished. He'd get to a place where he was tired. He'd get to a place where he was exhausted. People were constantly taking, taking, taking from the Lord Jesus, just like some of you moms are feeling like everybody in my world is just taking, 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 and I need something to fill me back up. And that's what the Lord Jesus was feeling on a daily basis, and he would withdraw from the crowds, and he would go, and he would get quiet. He would get alone with the Father, and in that quiet place, the Father would fill him up back up so that he could walk back out from his quiet time, meet the crowds, and begin giving and giving and giving. Um, Friends, what the Father did for the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus can do for you and I. Our souls are like a cup, and as we encounter people and as we encounter problems during the day and as we encounter difficulties, that cup gets drained little bits each time. We try to fill that cup back up with a nice meal We try to fill that cup back up with ice cream. We try to fill that cup back up with a good book. We try to fill that cup back up with a a late-night TV, some sort of way to try and recover, to kind of gather ourselves a little bit at night in order to wake up the next day and be full. We try to fill that cup back up with trips to the beach. And, oh, I love trips to the beach. There's nothing wrong with the beach, friends. The beach is a wonderful place, but the beach can never fill the void inside of us. You'll go to the beach. You may be relaxed. You may have a fun time, but when you get back and the grind immediately starts again, you're going to feel like, oh, I need to go back to the beach, right? Friends, nothing will fill us to overflowing like an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing. You can go out and buy a new car. You can go for a ride on your motorcycle. You can go to a concert. Whatever it is that you do that kind of fills you up, that makes you feel like you're getting refreshed and full again, friends, you can do any of those things, but they will always leave you empty. They will always leave you wanting. Whereas when you walk away from a quiet time with Jesus Christ, you will always walk away feeling full, feeling mended. I had an appointment with my physical therapist this past week. I've been having some issues with my hips. They're crooked. And so he's trying to straighten me out, right? And so he said to me, as he's kind of working on my hips, he said, you know what, we're all just a collection of our dysfunctions. I thought, well, I told him, I said, hey, do you mind if I use that in a sermon coming up? Turned out it was today. We're all just a collection of our dysfunctions, he said. Of course, he was thinking about it in the context of all the injuries that we incur over the course of time, over the course of our lives, and how when you put all those injuries together, things get out of whack, get crooked, and you got to straighten things out, and you got to work that out. But friends, it's the same thing with our souls. Over time, hurtful memories, hurtful things that we've done, things that we've been a part of, things that have happened in our life, all those things just become a collection, and over time they become our dysfunction. But when we get alone in our closet with the Lord, when we get in an intimate, quiet time with Him on a daily basis, He straightens us out. He mends us. He repairs us. He fills us. He fixes what's broken. And if you're here today and you've never entered into a real and personal relationship with Jesus Christ, think about what you're missing. Not only are you missing out on having your sins forgiven and being able to spend eternity with God, but you're missing out on being healed. You're missing out on the inside of you being full. And friends, that's what a relationship with Jesus Christ will give you, something for you to think about. All right, number two, how can you be the model wife and mother or the model whatever? First is you have to have a daily quiet time with Jesus, an intimate connection with him on a daily basis. And number two is to develop self-discipline in your life, to develop self-discipline in your life. Now, y'all know I've said this before that I've trained four marathons. I've run a few marathons over the past four years, Um, and I'm training for one right now. And uh, yesterday morning, did I want to get out of bed and go run for two hours? No, I did not. I really wanted to hug my pillow a little bit longer. The sun was coming up. I knew that the heat was coming, and I was like, oh, I better get out there before it gets too hot. And so I did. I went out the door, and I went running. And some of you say, well, Gordon, you go out there and you do that because you like running, because you love to run. No, I don't. I hate running. It is the absolute worst thing you could possibly do. I'd rather go ride a bike or swim in a pool or do anything, jump rope. I'd rather do anything other than go out and run. It's just the absolute worst. I mean when you're out there running a marathon, I mean your toenails are popping off. I'm not kidding you, toenails really do pop off in the middle of a marathon race. Anything that would cause your toenails to pop off, you've been doing it for too long, right? Um, I mean, your feet hurt so bad, it's like you've been out uh, waiting tables all day, and your feet are just really, really sore. and every time you walk by, run, run by a curb or you walk by a nice little patch of grass, they're all calling, "Do you please come over here and sit down and you've got this temptation, And you've got just all kinds of things physically that are happening to you during the middle of this race. And then there's the months, literally the months of, of getting up early in the morning and going out and running in the heat and sweating and and <clears throat> it just goes and goes on. and you know the day of the race. You're going for so long that literally you stop sweating because your body gets dehydrated. It doesn't matter how much water you throw back. I mean, you're going to get dehydrated. And so because of that, you get to like mile 20, mile 21. I mean, your brain literally starts to get foggy. You can't think straight. Your fine motor skills are gone. You can't even open a water bottle. The people hand you the cup, you can't even hold the thing. And your hands are like, please just throw it on me. I'm trying to get a little bit in my mouth. I mean, it's, it is really, really horrible experience. But at the same time, you say, well, why do you do it then? Why do you put yourself through that? Because, friends, when you get to that finish line, it represents a goal. It represents something that you've achieved. And so as I get to mile 25 and I start thinking back to all the suffering that I've endured, all the early mornings that I've endured, all the terrible things that I've experienced, the toenails that I'm now missing, I mean, I get through all of that, and I begin to get, have this euphoric kind of a, wow, it's all coming to The end, it's all here. I'm almost there. And so let's take a look at our slide one more time, our Proverbs 31 woman. That's a lot of hard work. That's a lot of suffering. That's a lot of struggle. But friends, the goal is euphoric. When you come to that place, and you come to that place where you're you're at that finish line and you see yourself living as that model, as that person that God designs and desires for you to be, just nothing like it in the world. Every mom wants her children to rise and call her blessed. Every wife wants to hear her husband praise her. But friends, raw talent alone won't get you there. It takes two habits percolating in the background of your life. One of those is having a daily intimate encounter with the Lord Jesus and the second is having the discipline to do the things that will get you the goal that you're trying to achieve you put those two things together you synthesize those two things in in your life friends and there is nothing nothing that you cannot achieve let's bow our heads together most gracious heavenly father we thank you for fresh vision for our life. I mean, that's what the scriptures offer us. They offer us truth. They offer us good theology. They remind us of who you are and of your love for us. But Lord, they also remind us of what we can become. And so God, we just thank you for fresh vision today. We pray that your Holy Spirit would call us to uh, become that person that's kind of been in the back of our mind, that we've been thinking about some disciplines that we know we need to bring into our life, um, some goals, some vision that we need to put before ourselves. God, we want to embrace that today. We want to embrace that for us individually. We want to begin to embrace that as well for our church family. God, whatever it is that you want to accomplish through this place, we say, Lord, we're willing, we're willing to experience the struggle. Lord, we just thank you again for this time. We thank you for this table reminding us of your broken body, of your shed blood. And we commit these quiet moments to you. Speak to our hearts. We pray, O Holy Spirit, in Christ's name.